I, I saw a lot of the the ways that religion just gets used in a sense, which, you know, as a pastor now, there's a lot of people who are wounded by the church and a lot of people who have rejected God because of their experience in the church. And so even in terms of talking to unbelievers, that's often an entry point to say, I, I hated the church too, I get it. Um, and to be able to say, but look at Christ and look at how he can take a mess and turn it into a masterpiece. Welcome to another episode of the Pastor Theologian Show. Today, our guest is Pastor Jeremy Treat, who is the pastor for preaching and vision at Reality LA. We're really excited to have this conversation with Jeremy, who's a friend and a CPT fellow. So let's get right into it. Here's Todd. Jeremy, delighted to have you on the show today. It's great to be here. Zach and I are really looking forward to talking with you. You uh, are a pastor of an evangelical church in downtown LA. Uh, there's going to be a lot to talk about on the show. Today. We're, <laughs> well, we're I'm thrilled. just looking forward to the pizza. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So you told me if I talk long enough, you'd give we'll me feed you pizza. pizza. <laughs> yep. Chicago pizza. That's right. Not LA pizza. No. Does LA, is no such do, right. I was going to say, does, yeah, LA, okay, does LA even have a brand of pizza? No, it's got some we advantages. Tacos, we have burgers. We yes, yes, yes. yes. Chicago for the pizza. Well, we want to give our listeners a little bit of context for who you are, Jeremy. Uh, and, and so maybe we'll just go all the way back to the start of your faith journey. And we won't linger super, super long, but. But talk to us about where you were born and reared, how you came to faith, and maybe a little about your intellectual educational development as well. Sure. Well, I, I grew up in Alaska, lived there until I was 12 years old. And um, What part? Kenai Peninsula. So I lived in uh, mainly two little towns, Kenai and Soldotna, which are little fishing towns, Amazing. maybe a thousand people each. You haven't seen The Last um, Alaskans, have you, that show? No, I oh, don't think so. you got to no. check that out. I think it's on like Amazon Prime or something. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I, that's I, free with the podcast. I, I, yeah, I tell stories to my kids all the time about Alaska. So it, <laughs> it, it's all there. But Call of the wild, the whole yeah. deal. Yeah. So I, I lived there and, you know, I think there's really two things that were really formative on me growing up. One is my dad and my dad has, to make a long story short, my dad had a really rough upbringing, experienced most of the, the horrible things that the world can throw at you in his early years and has had a difficult life because of that. But by God's grace, my dad uh, didn't uh, repeat those patterns and really uh, God turned his life around mm. and that turned the trajectory of his family around. And so I really um, have received so much blessing that has come from my dad being able to withstand difficult times. Wow. And so that's shaped me deeply. Um, in terms and you were of my, in touch with that as a kid. What'd I mean, you say? You, you were in touch with that about his life. You know, I mean, oftentimes kids grow up in homes and parents are going through all kinds of things and the kids are sheltered yeah. either intentionally or unintentionally. They're just oblivious to it. But you got exposure to it? No, and... that was very clear. I mean, my, my, my dad's a very godly man, but life is difficult for him. Mm. Um, he went through a lot of stuff and... That just shaped our family a lot. Wow. And I remember I think that even uh, created a, a compassion and sensitivity in me probably because wow. I remember having conversations with my mom. And yeah, so that was that was really shaping. And even the older I got, realizing just how blessed I was in that. So I always say that my dad's my hero because he gave me everything that he never had. Oh, that's um, and, and I'm just super grateful for that. That's so, marvelous. Yeah, so my my both my parents are are incredible, and um, I wouldn't be where I am if it weren't for them. 
in terms of the church, I grew up in the church. And while my parents are, are really godly and taught me the scriptures, the church context that we grew up in, um, I don't look back on with all the fondness that I do. In Alaska, it was a church in Alaska. Yeah, um, I really like really um, legalistic churches. Mm-hmm. It's just all about religious performance, um, just obedience, do the right things, say the, say the right things. I feel like I was taught how to be a Pharisee. Um, mm. And so a lot of my story of coming to know Christ was um, really just understanding uh, my own sin, but even my religious pride and my self-righteousness. Wow. And, you know, I, in the in the story of the prodigal son, I was the I was the older brother who wow. thought um, God was lucky to have me on his team yes. and all that I brought to the table. <laughs> and, um, and so it was it was in you know early teenage years though of God just exposing the pride of that. So seeing my sin. And and truly understanding the gospel. Yeah. That, and, but you weren't in Alaska at the time. You moved when you were well. So I moved from Alaska to Seattle when I was thirteen. Okay. And it was really like in those. That's a bastion early, of conservatism up there. Yeah, 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 big, yeah. Big shift. I mean, Alaska is just an interesting place. I, yeah, kind of a different world, isn't it? Yeah, it's like behind the times, but in a different world and Man. small town, Incredible. all of that. Yeah, Seattle was was very different. Um, and. Uh, didn't not a lot of Christians around there, and a, a really different uh, climate politically and culturally. But yeah, I was in that time where I really God changed me, gave me a new heart, um, and turned me around. And I would say that a lot of my story, you know, my conversion, but then even since then, is just understanding the gospel and recognizing my own self righteousness and God saving me from that, mm. and so coming back to that time and time again. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for a lot of the aspects of my upbringing in the church. Um, but also I, I saw a lot of the, uh, the ways that religion just gets used in a sense, um, which, you know, as a pastor now, there's a lot of people who are wounded by the church and and a lot of people who have rejected God because of their experience in the church. And so even in terms of talking to unbelievers, that's often an entry point to say, I, I so hate I, the I, I've too. been there, done that. I get it. Um, and to be able to say, but look at Christ. Yeah. And look at how he can take a mess and turn it into a masterpiece. And he involves us in that. Mm. So, so um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, my story is a, a story of God's grace being exhibited through a broken person, a broken family. And in when you were coming to faith in Christ, did you immediately start thinking about ministry? Did you, quote-unquote, have a call at an early age? Was it associated with your conversion, or did that come much yeah, later? Yeah, you know, I, I did feel a strong sense of calling towards leadership at some level. Okay. Looking back on that, I struggled to know whether how much that was the Holy Spirit and how much of, of that is I would be affirmed in doing things well yeah. up front, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, But I do think, I'm sure it was a mixture of both, actually, mm-hmm. looking back on it. Mm-hmm. But I, I did feel a strong call towards ministry in a sense of just the initial, like, I've experienced the grace of God in a way mm-hmm. that I didn't think was possible, and I want to tell people about this. But then I also want to be involved in cultivating spaces for that and yeah. really pouring into people. So even in even in high school, I um, I really felt a call towards leadership and mm-hmm. at, at some level with that. And then, but my journey over the years has just been a like a whittling process. Mm. I would say that there was this really broad call early on towards ministry, leadership, something um, with that. That um, over 
time and prayer and conversations and failures and mm. all of that, of that being narrowed down in a sense. T- talk to us about your educational journey then, Jeremy. So- yeah, so I, man, I... <sighs> When I was in the middle of college at Biola University, so you went to Biola. Yeah, so I yep. went to Biola as an undergrad, um, mainly for basketball. Not <laughs> oh, theology. is that right? Yeah, right. I went there to play basketball. Um, but I loved. And what Biola. years were you there? Ninety nine to 01. 99 And I, I loved Biola. I had such a great experience. What position there. were you? Uh, well, I was a shooting guard. I'm okay. naturally Number a shooting two. guard. I would, yeah. I would, I would, I would have guessed you were. Yeah, I mean, guard. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, not tall terribly enough to tall. be a really yeah. good shooting guard. I mean, I'm six one, so in college, I was kind of forced to go between shooting guard and point guard. But yeah, so I went to Biola to play basketball. I had a great experience there. Um, but then I ended up moving back to Seattle to help plant a church after my sophomore year. Oh, so I didn't know that about yeah, your story. Yeah. So I, I went back to be the youth pastor. And, um, and didn't it, finish college. No, no, no. I, I transferred to Seattle Pacific. Oh, there we go. And yes. ended up graduating from Seattle Pacific, oh. which is very different from Biola. Um, but I, it was, it was really interesting. I mean, I went back to be the youth pastor, and it was, it was the strongest I'd ever heard the voice of God in my life before. Mm. Of it's a long story, but I was praying about all these different things, and these people that I knew from before were planting this church, and they called <clears throat> and asked me to come and join them and be a youth pastor. And, um, and it was just so clear that God was calling me to that. And I didn't want to, I loved Biola. I wanted to stay there. Um, but I moved back to help plant this church. And then we had this core team of about 30, 40 people. It was mostly, honestly, my, uh, my parents' peers. So it was older generation for me. And I was going to be the youth pastor. This other guy was going to be the senior pastor. And we did all this kind of prep with the core team. And then right before we were going to launch the church, the senior pastor bailed. Oh. I mean, he just like up and out of there. Like oh. he flipped out. Without I mean, much explanation I honestly don't or even remember oh. that much of what happened. Brutal. But wow. I just remember thinking, all right, game over. Like I thought we were going to plant a church and now we're not. And we had this meeting with the core team and I went there expecting it to be, okay, this didn't work out the way that we wanted. And so, um, so I guess we're done. Let's all go our different ways. And I go to this meeting and instead of that happening, they say, we want to plant the church, and Jeremy, we want you to lead. Oh us. no, is that right? I was twenty years old. Yeah, so. I was, um, 20, I was Jeremy, what are you old. doing next Sunday? Yeah. <laughs> so here I am. Like I have uh, class. Yeah, <laughs> here I am, starting my junior year of college, and we plant this church on That's the east side of Seattle. And I, I preached for the I first. Did not, I've known um, you for a while, Jeremy. We've talked a lot. I did not know this yeah, about your story. This it is was wild. Excellent. I mean, I, I got thrown into the deep end, dude. Um, and it was, it was a blast. I mean, the, uh, like I said, it was a lot, most of the people were 20, 25 years older than me. Um, but they were so gracious and so sweet and, and patient with me. And I had no idea what I was doing and God was just at work in all of that. Um, and so we ended up, I preached for about the first two or three months, I think. And then we had another guy who came along who was maybe 15 years older than me, who then stepped into that position. But then because I was at the helm, the uh, ripe at the old beginning, age of 35. Yeah. Yeah. In. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, since I was there from the beginning, I mean, we were a team in almost everything that we did. And so, um, yeah, I, I mean, I learned how to swim by getting thrown into the deep end Unreal. and then was a part of that church plant for seven years. And so I finished undergrad. What'd you study undergrad? Uh, theology. Oh, you yeah, did. Yeah, Seattle Pacific. And that was great. I mean, it was going from Biola where it was like, 
we're all on the same page here. Like, I like the way you interpret scripture. Just teach me, feed me. Yes. And then going to Seattle Pacific and being like, wait a second, like, there's a lot of diversity in the yes. room here and where people are at theologically. And that was really good for me to be able to figure out, like, why do I believe what I believe? And to be able to have conversations with people that I disagree with and learn to do that charitably. And um, so that was a good experience. Hey, everybody, just a quick note about our annual conference here at the Center for Pastor Theologians. This year's topic is Techne, a Christian vision of technology, and we will be hosting this conference in Chicago on October 14th to 16th, 2019. We have a lot of great speakers lined up, including Andy Crouch, Pastor Charlie Dates, Karen Swallow Pryor, and a great lineup of pastors, scholars, academic theologians, and sociologists, as well as tech experts. It's going to be a great set of conversations, and I encourage you to go to our conference website, cptconference.com, to learn more and to register. Let's get right back into our conversation with Pastor Jeremy Treat. So I finished my undergrad at SPU, and then I did a master's degree at Fuller in Seattle, uh, they had a branch campus there. And, but it was the same thing. I was working in the church full time, doing school on the side. I don't think I ever wrote a paper that I started before nine o'clock at night. You know? <laughs> um, and so I, I students I was, don't follow that advice for your yeah, listening, please. Yeah. But, but you know, it's, it's tough when you're in ministry full time and getting married and then doing school on the side. So something's got to give. <laughs> yeah. And I loved it. Um, and, and that was a really formative season for me because I was going to class and learning and then going and preaching and preaching oh, to marvelous. the whole church and to high schoolers and to junior hires. And, and that was a time for me where uh, theology and ministry were like, uh, welded together in a way that couldn't be separated in the, in the rest of my life. Because I remember going to a class and somebody, somebody, um, I think it was, the, it's an Einstein quote that says, you don't really understand something until you can explain it to a child. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, well, I'm working with children, you know, teenage <laughs> children. Mm -hmm. And so whatever I learn in class should be able to apply to them. And I remember one day sitting in a church history class and we're learning about Maximus the Confessor. Oh, nice. And, you know, we're talking about the two wills of Christ and all this stuff. And, and, uh, and I'm thinking, how do I, how do I go back and, this is and, so and apply relevant this, for youth right? Ministry. And then I go and I, and I talk to them about Jesus being fully God and fully man. And I say, how important is this for us as Christians that we believe this? And I start telling them about Maximus the Confessor who got his tongue cut out and his hand cut off for what he believed about the two natures of Christ. And these kids are just eating it up. All of a sudden <laughs> they love Christology, right? And they're like, they see why it matters. And so that was, that was surprising for me because there was a lot of things that I took from that context and took into youth ministry that the kids loved. Yes. And it didn't fit the models that I'd seen. Now, you just got to entertain you, them. Two, two questions. What equipped you to make that uh, translation of what you were learning academically into the church. How were you able to do that? Lots of pastors struggle and academics struggle with, with yeah. doing that. Um, so that's the one thing. And then the other is if you could comment a little bit more on the welding together of church ministry and yeah. theology. Uh, the CPT exists, Center for Pastor Theologians exists in many ways because those aren't welded together in so yeah. many people's lives, mm -hmm. both lay people and even pastors. 
what is it about your wiring or that experience or whatever that that welded it together for you? Well, I guess I guess with the first question of of how I was able to translate from the classroom to teaching in a church contract context, part of it I think is just how the context forced me to do that. Okay. So m- maybe sometimes the gap happens because a lot of our seminary culture forces you to leave the church yes. to get trained for the church, yes. right? So you leave for however many years. You have the luxury and of then, not And then the re-entry, the re-entry is difficult. Yes. So if you hear about Maximus the Confessor and then, and then write papers for four years and then have to come back and say, how do I talk to a 14-year-old about this? That's tough. But when I went to class... Mm the night before, and then I'm, I'm teaching to the junior hires the next day, and I'm teaching on 1 Timothy mm. 2 or something that's talking about Jesus as the God-man, then, then I, I'm, I, I have those categories, yeah. and the, the, it's firing off in my brain as I'm reading the scriptures and preparing to teach. Yes. And so in a lot of ways, I mean, I see that today, that the, the pulpit forces you to put your theology into practice. Um, you, you can't just sit up there in the pulpit and kind of theorize about philosophical speculations when you're looking at people who are hurting and suffering and questioning. And um, and so I think for me, that context forced me to do that. Um, so all, you were never even given the opportunity to like separate them. You just sure. had, because you were pastoring. Even yeah. I mean, I feel like the context forced me to do that in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think, I'm sure there are other things involved with that. I'm sure I had um, you know, people in my life, mm. I think of, of mentors or preachers that I heard who, did it well, yeah. who, who made theology practical. And so I saw some of the avenues already that I could go down for that. Uh, but I think the context was really important. I think a lot of it too, is just that, um, a, a lot of good theology comes too from people being able to ask questions. And so when you think about youth ministry of kids saying, well, what about this? Or what about that? And, and the best ones are when you can't just point to a Bible verse, right? Because when you can point to a Bible verse, it's easy to give those answers. But when you can't point to a verse, you start to lean into your theology. You have to give theology. a real answer, as yeah, it were, yeah. right? You have to lean into your theology and be able to say, well, what? how, how do I think ingrain with the scriptures on that? So, yeah, I mean, I think that was huge for me. In terms of the melding together like you talked, or the welding together like you talked about, I mean, I guess it's similar question. Uh, I guess one thing I go back to is a pretty significant um, turning point for me was when I was 18 years old, I read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Wow. And the way that he was able to go from this like high level, Natural like, this guy's brain theory. is like yes. out of this world. And then all of a sudden he's got me laughing and like applying it to my own life yes. and wanting to tell stories to people, you yeah. know? Um I think that's something that I hadn't really seen before very much of someone who could um, take something so deep and talk about it in a, a, you know, a radio show kind of form, which was the mere Christianity started as. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe that was a part of it for me Mm -hmm. that really kind of unlocked something in my mind. I think especially from, I didn't care about, I didn't care about learning. I don't think very much. Were you not a precocious kid and student? You You know, I I did well in school. uh But um, I was never really challenged. Yep. Um, I loved sports. Like yep. I spent my time on the basketball court, yep. and um, and 
you know, did well in school because that's what was expected of me, I think. So you did the Fuller MA. You were with this church for seven years. What You, you went to Wheaton and did a PhD. How did that come into play? When so, did that happen? Yeah, well, I'll try and tell it quick. I mean, I at the at the end of those seven years, I was um, I felt like God was calling me out of youth ministry. And and I at the same time that I was wrestling with that kind of vocationally, what, what what does it look like for me to grow as a pastor? Um, I had had several professors recommend that I go on with school and, and consider that. And I'd never really applied myself at school. Like I said, I kind of did it on the side. And so I thought, all right, I'm going to take a season. I'm going to go into a THM, um, which if people don't know, is just kind of a secondary master's degree. It's like a stepping stone to a PhD. And um, I said, I'll go do a THM and I'll try this out, basically do a one-year degree and and we'll see how that goes. If, if I like it and if I thrive in there, then maybe I'll go into a PhD program. If I don't, I'll go back to ministry. That's where my heart is at. Great. So... Um, so I actually prayed for um, for quite a while between going to uh, Talbot in, in the Los Angeles area or going to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago. And um, I, I met a guy during that time uh, at the gym, and we start we, we started praying for each other. And at the end of six months, him and his wife moved to Los Angeles, and we moved to Chicago. And so I went to Trinity. I was there uh, for a year to do a THM. Uh, and while I was there, I, I did an independent study under Kevin Van Hooser on the kingdom and the cross. And, uh, and I just, Is that right? yeah, I just, I just, well, I loved Van Hooser. I mean, he was one of the main reasons I ended up going to Trinity. I read his book, Drama of Doctrine, the year before, and it just um, kind of changed my trajectory in thinking about theology and ministry and gave me a lot of categories that I think um, I wanted, but didn't have that, uh, thus far. And so I, I, um, I did this <clears throat> independent study with Van Hooser, loved working with him, had started conversations with him about the potential. <clears throat> I'd started conversations with him about the potential of doing a PhD there. Um, and then, and then a little bit down that road, he came out and announced that he was <laughs> leaving to Trinity <laughs> to go to Wheaton. And the irony of that for me is that um, the year before, I had literally said, if I could do a PhD anywhere, I'd want to do it at Wheaton College. But oh, if I could wow. study under any person, I'd want it to oh, be Kevin right? Van Hooser. Um, and so Van Hooser went to and Wheaton. And as it turns out, he was only there for a little bit. It was, he just, was there just, the just exact, so you could just, get your, your ideal degree. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I ended up going with Van Hooser to Wheaton and went through the PhD program there, studying under him, which was just a dream. Great experience. I mean, just incredible. Was I mean, it? even while what I did was, you, what was so great about? While it? I was there, I was just pinching myself of like I, I, of thinking I get three years to Geek study out. theology yeah. with my heroes of the faith and, and these theologians like that I'm meeting with and talking with them, and then these friends that I made who were just incredible men and women who love the Lord and are brilliant and want to go into all these different contexts. I mean, not just teaching in the academy, but I mean, the, our cohort of six people are all over the world now doing all kinds of different stuff. And so 
it was just incredible. I mean, to have Kevin Van Hooser as my advisor and Doug Moo as my second reader. That's not a and, bad lineup. And get to do a, a dissertation on a topic that I was really passionate about. And honestly- Which was Kingdom and Cross. Yeah. And honestly, that you that at a lot of places, I couldn't have even done that because yes. I, I really wanted to do a biblical- theology and systematic theology yep, kind of intertwined. whole Bible stuff. And a lot of people won't let you do that. And Wheaton really values that integrated model. And so uh, that was just incredible. I loved it. It's I, I count it as a gift from God and see it as a, a matter of stewardship to this yeah, day. Yeah, I was going to ask because a number of our CPT fellows have degrees from UK universities or, you know, uh, other other universities in the, in the States. A lot of our CPT fellows have degrees from evangelical seminaries or graduate schools, there's different cultures and strengths and weaknesses, but you, you loved your experience at Wheaton. Yeah. Can you comment more on that? I well, mean, you, Wheaton, you, I think you probably hit maybe the main thing that was an advantage. Wheaton but, has a specific model that's unique and they call it the mid Atlantic model where oh, it's, yeah, okay. you know, in between. So yeah. you, you're not just, you're not doing like a typical American program where you're doing two years of classes and then you start your dissertation. Um, and they're not doing the typical European model where you just go in and basically write on one topic. Yep. Uh, you, for Wheaton, you do, you do like one class, one seminar per, sem per semester and you start your dissertation at the beginning. So they try and get the best of both worlds. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, from my experience, it worked perfectly. Every every program is different, and it's it depends on the person. Different yeah. people have different yeah. needs. So some people are ready just to drill down on a dissertation topic. Other people need more breadth in their training. I certainly wasn't at a place where I felt like I just wanted to drill down on one specific thing. I needed a lot more breadth in my mm -hmm. training going into the program, and so I was really grateful for that. But I also knew what I wanted to write on, and I didn't want to wait two years for that. Mm -hmm. And so it was great to be able to start on my dissertation from the beginning. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to tune in next week to hear the rest of our conversation with Jeremy Treat. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CPT Podcast, a theology podcast for the church. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider throwing us a like, sharing the podcast online, subscribing, leaving a review. Uh, anything like that would go a long way towards helping other people hear about the podcast. Uh, the CPT Podcast is a ministry of the Center for Pastor Theologians. You can learn more about the CPT by visiting us at pastortheologians.com. You can also find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our host for today's episode was Todd Wilson. Our producer and editor was Trenton Jones. Our music was composed by Andrew Gerlicher. I'm Zach Wagner. Thanks for listening.